appendix section two of the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine appendix criticism of the kantian philosophy section two kant's greatest merit is the distinction of the phenomenon from the thing in itself based upon the proof that between things and us there still always stands the intellect so that they cannot be known as they may be in themselves he was led into this path through locke see prolegomena zu jeder metaph section thirteen two the latter had shown that the secondary qualities of things such as sound smell colour hardness softness smoothness and the like as founded on the affections of the senses do not belong to the objective body to the thing in itself to this he attributed only the primary qualities that is such as only presuppose space and impenetrability thus extension figure solidity number mobility but this easily discovered lockean distinction was as it were only a youthful introduction to the distinction of kant the latter starting from an incomparably higher standpoint explains all that locke had accepted as primary qualities that is qualities of the thing in itself as also belonging only to its phenomenal appearance in our faculty of apprehension and this just because the conditions of this faculty space time and causality are known by us a priori thus locke had abstracted from the thing in itself the share which the organs of sense have in its phenomenal appearance kant however further abstracted the share of the brain functions though not under that name thus the distinction between the phenomenon and the thing in itself now received an infinitely greater significance and a very much deeper meaning for this end he was obliged to take in hand the important separation of our a priori from our a posteriori knowledge which before him had never been carried out with adequate strictness and completeness nor with distinct consciousness accordingly this now became the principal subject of his profound investigations now here we would at once remark that kant's philosophy has a threefold relation to that of his predecessors first as we have just seen to the philosophy of locke confirming and extending it secondly to that of hume correcting and making use of it a relation which is most distinctly expressed in the prolegomena that most beautiful and comprehensible of all kant's important writings which is far too little read for it facilitates immensely the study of his philosophy thirdly a decidedly polemical and destructive relation to the leibniz wolfian philosophy all three systems ought to be known before one proceeds to the study of the kantian philosophy if now according to the above the distinction of the phenomenon from the thing in itself thus the doctrine of the complete diversity of the ideal and the real is the fundamental characteristic of the kantian philosophy then the assertion of the absolute identity of these two which appeared soon afterwards is a sad proof of the saying of goethe quoted above all the more so as it rested upon nothing but the empty boast of intellectual intuition and accordingly was only a return to the crudeness of the vulgar opinion masked under bombast and nonsense and the imposing impression of an air of importance 
it became the fitting starting-point for the still grosser nonsense of the clumsy and stupid hegel now as kant's separation of the phenomenon from the thing in itself arrived at in the manner explained above far surpassed all that preceded it in the depth and thoughtfulness of its conception it was also exceedingly important in its results for in it he propounded quite originally in a perfectly new way found from a new side and on a new path the same truth which plato never wearies of repeating and in his language generally expresses thus this world which appears to the senses has no true being but only a ceaseless becoming it is and it is not and its comprehension is not so much knowledge as illusion this is also what he expresses mythically at the beginning of the seventh book of the republic the most important passage in all his writings which has already been referred to in the third book of the present work he says men firmly chained in a dark cave see neither the true original light nor real things but only the meagre light of the fire in the cave and the shadows of real things which pass by the fire behind their backs yet they think the shadows are the reality and the determining of the succession of these shadows is true wisdom the same truth again quite differently presented is also a leading doctrine of the vedas and puranas the doctrine of maya by which really nothing else is understood than what kant calls the phenomenon in opposition to the thing in itself for the work of maya is said to be just this visible world in which we are a summoned enchantment an inconstant appearance without true being like an optical illusion or a dream a veil which surrounds human consciousness something of which it is equally false and true to say that it is and that it is not but kant not only expressed the same doctrine in a completely new and original way but raised it to the position of proved and indisputable truth by means of the calmest and most temperate exposition while both plato and the indian philosophers had founded their assertions merely upon a general perception of the world had advanced them as the direct utterance of their consciousness and presented them rather mythically and poetically than philosophically and distinctly in this respect they stand to kant in the same relation as the pythagoreans hicetus philolaus and aristicus who already asserted the movement of the earth round the fixed sun stand to copernicus such distinct knowledge and calm thoughtful exposition of this dreamlike nature of the whole world is really the basis of the whole kantian philosophy it is its soul and its greatest merit he accomplished this by taking to pieces the whole machinery of our intellect by means of which the phantasmagoria of the objective world is brought about and presenting it in detail with marvellous insight and ability all earlier western philosophy appearing in comparison with the kantian unspeakably clumsy had failed to recognize that truth and had therefore always spoken just as if in a dream kant first awakened it suddenly out of this dream therefore the last sleepers mendelssohn called him the old destroyer he showed that the laws which reign with inviolable necessity in existence that is in experience generally are not to be applied to deduce and explain existence itself that thus the validity of these laws is only relative that is only arises after existence the world of experience in general is already established and present that consequently these laws cannot be our guide when we come to the explanation of the existence of the world and of ourselves 
all earlier western philosophers had imagined that these laws according to which the phenomena are combined and all of which time and space as well as causality and inference i comprehend under the expression the principle of sufficient reason were absolute laws conditioned by nothing aeterna veritates that the world itself existed only in consequence of and in conformity with them and therefore that under their guidance the whole riddle of the world must be capable of solution the assumptions made for this purpose which kant criticises under the name of the ideas of the reason only serve to raise the mere phenomenon the work of maya the shadow world of plato to the one highest reality to put it in the place of the inmost and true being of things and thereby to make the real knowledge of this impossible that is in a word to send the dreamers still more soundly to sleep kant exhibited these laws and therefore the whole world as conditioned by the form of knowledge belonging to the subject from which it followed that however far one carried investigation and reasoning under the guidance of these laws yet in the principal matter that is in knowledge of the nature of the world in itself and outside the idea no step in advance was made but one only moved like a squirrel in its wheel thus all the dogmatists may be compared to persons who supposed that if they only went straight on long enough they would come to the end of the world but kant then circumnavigated the world and showed that because it is round one cannot get out of it by horizontal movement but that yet by perpendicular movement this is perhaps not impossible we may also say that kant's doctrine affords the insight that we must seek the end and beginning of the world not without us but within us end of appendix section two recording by expatriate in bangor maine